0: we're starting a brand new series this morning called starting point over the next four weeks we're going to talk about um a a really simple idea a simple concept that i think all of us wrestle with at some point and to some degree and that uh idea that's simple um, is essentially what does it look like to come to an adult starting point in faith um for many of you uh you're like me uh, at some point you wrestled with this kind of um Early childhood faith that you were given, you were handed to it perhaps by your parents, maybe by your grandparents. Um, maybe for you, you weren't raised in a family of faith, but you had friends around you who had faith, um, who believed in a God or had a particular religion that they were a part of. Um, and in that, uh, you've perhaps and hopefully, have experienced some things for yourself in life, had some independent thoughts in your life, taught some other people, um, and you have some questions or some thoughts about faith. Um, and for many of us, for many of us, as we grow older, We start to question the faith that we were given as children. And for many of us, if we're being honest, when life hits transitions especially, we walk away from our faith. When we go to college when you start your first job, when you go to your second job, when you move to a new city. For many of us, we go through times in life that we question our faith, that we kind of walk away from our faith, and it's not that there's anything wrong with you or there's anything bad about you. Oftentimes, it's because what we were handed to as children or we thought about growing up or the things that we didn't have growing up meet a real world with our own independent thoughts and experiences. And based on that, we have a difficult time as adults, coming to a faith or a belief in Jesus. And perhaps for you, you're a Christian, and you've been a Christian for a while, but you've got some friends, you've got somebody in your family, you've got a parent, you've got a little brother, a little sister, or older brother, or older sister, you've got a child, you've got a kid that's now perhaps becoming an adult. And for them, they have about a thousand objections, right? And when people think about faith, there are things all over the place, especially when it comes to Christianity, because let's be honest, when it comes to Christianity, there are so many different things to think about. It's like trying to eat an entire elephant, you know? Some Somebody else, that might sound like a weird illustration to you, but someone once said, how do you eat an elephant? Anybody know the answer to that question? At Look at you. That's unbelievable. Thank you, front row. <laughs> Classic front row answer. Type A, personality, one bite at a time. Okay. Which by the way, I just want to say, hey, if you're here, and you're standing up, you you it's not possible to earn your way into heaven, but you practically did it by standing up an entire church service. You know, so just you know, kudos to you. <laughs> kudos, I don't know where God came from. Anyway. So the idea is, the idea is, as you think about faith, I mean, come on, there's so many things to think about. There's so many things to wrestle with. There's things about Adam. There's things about Eve. There's things about a literal seven-day creation. There's this whole flood thing that happened. I mean, come on, a boat, all the animals in the world. I mean, is that even realistic? There's this guy getting swallowed by a whale, which for some reason we key on, which if you've ever read the Old Testament, there are about 35 things that are more difficult to believe than a guy getting swallowed by a whale in the Old Testament. But we like, man, the whale, that just doesn't make sense, you know? So we key in on that one, and, and there's just so many things. And, and, and to be honest, for me, for me, as an adult, I mean, come on, as an adult, it is just so difficult to think that I am going to put my faith, my hope, my trust, my belief system, my worldview, and order my entire life around a guy who died 2,000 years ago. And so I want to talk to you. If you're in here and you're wrestling with that, or you're in here and you've got a friend You've got someone in your family, you've got someone in your office who has opened up to you or you're hoping that someday opens up to you because you would love to have a conversation with them. And there are so many places you could start. There are so many things that you could think about. I want to talk about for the next four weeks, what are the irreducible minimums, the lowest common denominator, the essentials for what it looks like for you for someone you know to come to an adult starting point in faith. Now, to kick off today, um, we're going to go to what I believe is the starting point for the entire church. And at the end, I'm going to tell you why I think this should be the starting point for everybody. That this is the cornerstone. This is the essential piece to the entire puzzle. And that is, you know, you know kind of surprise ending here, the resurrection. I don't know if you've ever heard about that or not. But the idea is, the idea is, I mean, if you, again, if you're kind of standing up and you're you know, already zoned out and the rain sounds so nice and, you know, you're thinking about all kinds of other things and counting the little lights, you know, one, two, three, I get that. Here it is, here it is. The cornerstone, the irreducible minimum, the starting point for our faith is the resurrection of Jesus. And the reason why it's so significant, we're going to find out, is because no one thought it was going to happen that is on easter sunday no one thought that jesus had risen from the dead because everyone saw jesus die and no one had ever seen a dead guy alive again now to get to that story we're going to be in the book of luke we're going to be in chapter 20 we're going to start in chapter 23 Luke chapter 23, and let me kind of give this a little preface. This is, this is one of the more abbreviated versions that I can give for why you should trust the Bible. Because I realize if you're in here and you're you know, kind of sifting through Christianity, sifting through faith, and you don't know if you can believe in Jesus, and you're thinking, okay, well, so you're going to use the Bible to prove Jesus, which is kind of circular logic because you can't use the Bible to prove the Bible. I get that. It's a little bit wrong, but I get that. Now, let me tell you why that's wrong. Because the Bible isn't a book. The Bible is actually a collection Of books. The Bible, in fact, the Bible comes from a Latin word which comes from a Greek word which means books because when the Bible was compiled, it wasn't one dude or a couple dudes who wrote, you know, let me just write the Bible. It was a number of different authors over a number of different years on a number of different continents in a number of different languages. And this is basically the compilation of a bunch of different letters. So just, you know, kind of pause. This really honestly doesn't have anything to do with the sermon, but just so you know. When you say, I don't believe in the Bible, that's a bit of an inaccurate statement because you kind of have to identify which part and why because it's just really a compilation of a bunch of different books. And the part that we're going to read from today is a guy named Luke. Now Luke, there's four accounts of Jesus' life. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have the entire New Testament, which is all Jesus and going forward. And in the book of Luke, in those four Gospels, in fact, the four stories of Jesus' life, those four were kind of circulating about 80 years after Jesus died. Within those first 70, 80 years, these books are circulating around Jesus. Now, pause. There were lots of other accounts of Jesus' life. In fact, there was a discovery, you know, a few decades ago that all of a sudden we had heard about these accounts of Jesus' life, but they were discovered. But these were the four that were mainline. These were the four that were trustworthy. These were the fours that the authorship wasn't in doubt. These were the four that the content wasn't in doubt. These were the four that the stories weren't in doubt. And here's why that's significant. Cuz what we're going to read today are historical accounts that circulated the Mediterranean rim shortly after Jesus died. In fact, there is so much documentation between these accounts and other accounts of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that if you were to go back 500 years on either side in antiquity of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is not another thing that comes close to the level of documentation. And here's all that is simply say this. The reason why we think this is reliable isn't because it's in the Bible. The reason why we read this and we think that, you know, okay, we can read this, we can trust this, it's historical. We don't think it's reliable because it's in the Bible. As Christians, Christians you might not know this. This is huge if you don't. We believe it's in the Bible because it's reliable. Let me say that again. We don't believe it's reliable because it's in the Bible. We don't simply believe it because someone said, hey, it's in the Bible. We believe that there were tons of letters, there were tons of accounts, there were tons of different writings, and these were the ones that were reliable, that circled the early church, that as the early church got together, they said, those are the ones that no one questions. In the same way, let's pretend like this book is your history, or your your freshman English class, and your freshman literature class, and your teacher gives it to you and says, I want you to read this book, it's the 50 greatest short stories of all time. No one in here would say, I don't believe those are the 50 greatest short stories of all time. You just think that they're the 50 greatest short stories of all time because they're in that book. Your teacher would look at you and say, that's dumb. They're in this book because they are great short stories. This book doesn't substantiate them being great short stories. This book is simply the realization that there are already great short stories, and this is a compilation of these incredible short stories. So, again, nothing to do with the, this sermon, but you ought to know before we open up the Bible and say, in Luke it says, okay? So, in Luke it says, if you've got your Bible, you can open up to chapter 23. In Luke it says, the women, now women play a huge role in the story of the resurrection, had come with him from Galilee... And followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Now, pause. At this point in life, Jesus has died. So you know, kind of upset alert. Jesus has died. Jesus has had plenty of prophets prophesy. This is what the Messiah is going to do. This is what he's going to talk. About. This is the things that he's going to, t- the type of things that he's going to do. And as Jesus walked on the earth, he fulfilled all the prophecies. As Jesus walked on the earth, he performed incredible miracles. As Jesus walked on the earth, he fed people, he healed people, he calmed the storm, he even brought a guy back from the dead one time. But at this point in life, Jesus died, Jesus has died, and at this point, no one thought that Jesus rose again. In fact, what had just happened was that Jesus was on the cross, and they kind of took him down from the cross. There's two fellows, one named Joseph, and one named Nicodemus, who you read about in perhaps an earlier story in the book of John. Well, Joseph and Nicodemus went to Pilate and said, Pilate, can we have the body of Jesus? And Pilate said, yeah, you can have the body of Jesus. So Joseph and Nicodemus, kind of in a rush before sunset hit, because when sunset hit, the Sabbath started, they wanted to embalm the body of Jesus. And so they got this spice mixed together, and they embalmed the body of Jesus. And so as these ladies were watching what happened, they followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Now, this is, this is kind of like the, the read-in-between-the-lines part of the Bible. In other words the women saw how the men had done the detail work and decided, eh, I don't think so. Now, I don't know what your house is like. And married people, perhaps you're you're like my wife and I in this situation. I can clean the house, but my wife cleans the house. You know what I'm saying? Like, I clean the house. Like, I make sure there's nothing, like, obviously wrong. And she scrubs baseboards. We had a conversation one time, and she said, you know, When was the last time that, you know, obviously, you know, it was a a great conversation. When was the last time that, you know, you scrubbed the baseboards? And I'm like, what? They're baseboards. They, you just put up new ones when you get done with them. You know I mean? You don't, that, that, that's ridiculous. But here, here's what happened. The women saw the way that the men had done this. The women saw the way the, the men had, had, had taken the body and balled the body, put the body in. So women thought, you know what? Jesus deserves better than that. We don't really believe he's the son of God anymore. But we believe that he deserves better than that. And so we're going to take and we're going to make our own spice blend. So this is what happens. Next step. They returned and prepared spices and ointments. And on the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. So they saw what had happened, basically went home, created this thing. But on the Sabbath day, they had to rest. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, here's what's fascinating about the story. The reason that they went to the tomb was not to see if Jesus had, in fact, risen from the dead, like he had said so many times before he was going to do. The reason that they went to the tomb that morning was to embalm Jesus because they expected Jesus to be dead. Let me tell tell you the significance of that. When I was raised, and I don't think anybody necessarily taught me this, it was just kind of the assumption When I was growing up, every Easter morning, the pastor would get up, and he would say, He is risen, and the congregation would say, Indeed, indeed. indeed. I don't know why we say indeed in that thing, but you know, indeed, he has risen. You know, so let let me... When I picture the women running to the tomb, I'm thinking, you know, they're running and saying, okay, did he rise, did he rise, did he rise? The stones roll, rolled away, they're looking and they're saying, oh my gosh, you know, Mary says to the other Mary, you know, he is risen. The other one says, indeed, you know, and everybody's like, oh my gosh, here's what's fascinating about the story. When they go to the tomb, they're looking and they have no clue what's going on because they expected for Jesus to be dead. Because when Jesus died, everyone expected him to be dead, no one expected him to rise rise and so as they're talking they come to this realization while they were perplexed about this behold two men stood by them in dazzling apparel and they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground and the men said to them why do you seek the living among the dead it's easy because we don't seek the living we seek the dead We seek the guy who, I don't know if you saw him, had just had his sides ripped out. We don't know if you saw him, had the crown of thorns put on. We don't know if you saw him, was hung on a Roman cross. We don't seek a living guy. We seek a dead guy who's already been embalmed. And he is not here, but has risen. And remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and rise. And they remembered, and they remembered his words, and returning to the tomb, told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, it accounts, and Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and the other women. But when they told, but when they told, now this is fascinating, because you would think, you would think, that as they're about to tell the apostles, these are the twelve guys, actually, at this point, these are the eleven guys. Who walked every day with Jesus, who talked every day with Jesus, who were there when he did all of the miracles. They were the ones who were there when they were on this sea, and they were all on the boat, and the boat was rocking and going crazy, and no one knew what to do. When Jesus is sitting there asleep, and Jesus, how could you sleep at a time like this? And Jesus says, ye have little faith, and calms the sea. These are the guys... Who one time, another time, the boat was rocking, everything was going crazy, Jesus wasn't with them. They see this guy who they think it's a ghost, they realize, oh, that's not a ghost, that's Jesus. Jesus said, you know, Peter says, you know, I'm going to go out there. And Jesus says, come on. And Peter starts walking on water until he starts to drown, and Jesus grabs him and saves him. This was the, these were the guys who saw Jesus feed 5,000 people with a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of people, people, f- pieces of the fish multiple times. These were the guys who heard the teachings, who knew Jesus the most out of everybody, These were the people that if you're making this story up, when the women come back and they say, He is risen. If I'm the author of this story and I'm making this whole thing up to trick everybody, I'm painting myself in the best light possible. One of the more fascinating things about this story is the men who would eventually be the founding fathers of the church Did not believe that Jesus had rose from the dead. The guys who would eventually give the sermons, who would eventually lead the early church, who would lead thousands of people to belief and hope and faith in Jesus' name, when Jesus died, did not believe that he was the son of the living God. Now... One of the things that differentiates Christianity, just so you know, is that most religions, when the founder dies, when the leaders die, when the leader dies, the followers circle around and say, How can we perpetuate these teachings? How can we make sure that these teachings last in perpetuity? When Jesus died, his followers almost collectively all said, Uh oh. Yes, we were wrong, because when he died, no one thought, we're going to make this thing last. Let's circle the wagon. Let's get everybody together. In fact, when they heard of him rising, here, look at their reaction. When they told them these things to the apostles, the closest, verse 11, but these words sound seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. So, verse 12, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw in linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Now, here's a little lost in translation moment. That word marveling, we read and we automatically interpret in light of, you know, he said, Oh my gosh, he has risen. Depending on what translation you read, if you read the NIV, for instance, it says wondering what happened. If you read the old school King James version, it said wondering, or probably King James says wondereth what happened, you know. New King James says in awe, and it's, it's back and forth, and, and, and here's why there's this kind of difficult translation when they're translating this particular Greek word, because it's this kind of like awestruck, wondering, I have no clue what just happened, and I am so lost, and I'm in awe over, I don't know what to do with this. In fact, John, as he recounts his story in the Gospel of John, the, you know, the, the, John, actually, the guy who's writing the book of John, they are very creative with their titles, John, who's writing this, this letter, says, because up to this point, they did not realize that he would rise again. In other words, he was in wonder. He was in amazement, but not because Jesus rose, but because he had no clue what had just happened. Because when Jesus died, everyone saw him die. And when Jesus rose, no one expected him to rise again. And over the period of the for the next couple days jesus would appear he'd appear to mary first and then he'd appear to a couple of apostles and then he'd appear in the upper room to all 11 at the same time and he would look at thomas dead in the face and said thomas i know you have questions i know you have doubts because some of the apostles had said we've seen him we've seen him we've seen him and even when some of their own had said we'd seen him thomas says look I'm not going to believe unless I can put my my finger in the holes of his wrist. Jesus shows up in the room in a closed door, just appears. It says, Thomas, I know you have doubts. I am big enough for your doubts. I can embrace your doubts. Here's my wrist. Good luck. Paul, looking back at this whole thing, as he writes about it, says, let me tell you, in fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says this. In 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to be in verse 3. He kind of recaps And and this is a letter to the church of Corinth. Again, this is a different letter by a guy named Paul who, who hated the church, persecuted the church, wanted to kill the church, eventually became one of the strongest, if not the biggest church planter in the history of all of Christ. Because he was the last one that Jesus appeared to. And this was him recounting to the church of Corinth the gravity of what happened. In the order of it. He said, For I delivered to you, verse 3, as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. He says, okay, so let me me give you the, the highlight of what this whole Christianity thing is about. It's simple. It's that you and I are sinful... That's not, you're awful, you're awful, you're awful, you're awful, you know, you're going to hell. You know? No, it's, it's, it's simple. It's that all of us in humanity share this simple issue. We are sinful. We have, in, we have willfully chosen to do wrong and rebel against God. It's just all of us. But God is holy, and God is pure, and God is perfect. And he cannot have any unholy imperfection or impurity in his sight or in his presence. Consequently, God decided to make a way for us to be right with God, for us to be in his presence by sending his son Jesus to take away our sin. That's the simple transactional truth about what happened when Jesus died on the cross. But he says, it doesn't stop there. That he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which was Peter, by the way, who we just read about, then to the twelve, and then... In one of the most underemphasized verses in the Bible, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. In other words, Church of Corinth, Paul would say, if you don't believe me, if you think this is just kind of a Loch Ness monster type thing, if you think this is kind of like a UFO sighting type thing, where somebody with a good imagination and a sweet Photoshop, you know, ability kind of made this whole thing up and said, He's risen, and everybody said, No way, you know, I'm telling you I saw it. You know, you get the guy from anyways, you know, the Wa'Cullian that says, oh, I saw him, you know. If you're from Walculli, God bless you, you know. Glad you're here. But at this point, at this point, at this point, Paul looks and says, Come on. Over 500 people at one time, Psalm Church of Corinth, who were in Jerusalem when it happened. Implication, if you don't trust me, if you don't believe me, if you want to investigate this for yourself, go talk to them. Because most of them are still walking, and most of them are still talking, and you can still have conversation after conversation after conversation with people who were there when Jesus showed back up. If it weren't for the resurrection... The reason why this was the starting point for the early church is if it weren't for the resurrection, Jesus would be no different than many people who lived in their day. Jesus was not the first person to claim to be the Son of God. Jesus was not the first first person to have wisdom-filled teachings. Jesus was not the first person to claim virgin birth. Jesus was not the first person to do miracles. Jesus was the first person to do all of those things, die, and show back up. And Paul says, and you don't have to take my word for it. In fact, what's, what's fascinating is Paul puts so much emphasis on the resurrection. This is what Paul would go on to say, how important it is. Verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can you, some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead and not even Christ has been raised... And by the way, verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, if this whole resurrection thing isn't real, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith, your faith, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Paul would say, our faith, your faith, and my preaching is completely pointless, that we are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testify a God about God, that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that Christ, that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. In other words, Paul would say, I have so much importance on this. I have so much writing on this. That if Jesus was not raised from the dead, that he's just another guy who died for what he believed in. Which is incredible, but is not unique. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And I love this last verse. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, he would say, you know that Christian? That you ask, what if this whole thing isn't true? What if Jesus isn't real? What if there really was no, no resurrection? And they answered you and they said, well, if that's all true, then at least I'm a happy person. <laughs> Paul would say, that's dumb because if this whole Jesus thing isn't real, then you ought to pity me above everybody else on planet Earth. That's how much Paul believed. I love this next statement that he says. But in fact, Christ has been raised. In other words, I know most of religion, is belief. I know most of religion is faith. I know most of religion is unprovable. But Paul, who saw the resurrected Jesus, said, this is fact for me who has seen it. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why we believe in the resurrection. Because Matthew wrote about it. Matthew gave us an historical account of it. Mark wrote about it. Luke wrote about it. John wrote about it. Peter wrote about it. Paul wrote about it. And James, the brother of Jesus, believed that his brother was the Son of God. Now, let me ask you what would your brother have to do to convince you that he was God? (laughs) Just saying and they weren't the only ones who wrote about it. These were just the ones who the early church found reliable enough that as they realized we need to preserve some type of a document because we have seen a resurrected Jesus, decided that these were the ones and these are the ones that we all agree on or at least agree on for the most part. Now, I don't know who you are. I don't know where you're from. But let me tell you, the starting point for your faith. The starting point for the faith of perhaps someone you love, someone you care about, someone that you know, someone that you're friends with, roommates with, co workers with. The starting point is the resurrection of Jesus. And there are a thousand different bites as you look at taking and eating the entire elephant. But the first bite is the resurrection. Because if we don't agree that Jesus rose from the dead, there's no way we're going to even consider a guy being swallowed by a whale. Now let me tell you why. Last last little bit. As you think about faith, as you think about faith, the entire Christian faith revolves around Jesus. The things that are debatable about Jesus aren't whether he was a real person, because that's, you know, not really debated. It's not whether he had wisdom filled teachings, not really debated. It's not whether he performed miracles. Even other religions, look at Jesus said he did incredible miracles. It's not whether he died on a Roman cross. Because history kind of all agrees that he did. The debated part. The question part. The part for you to take a first step in wrestling with as you wrestle with the idea of faith is did Jesus raise from the dead? Because if he didn't, then he is not Lord. We are still in our sins. My preaching is in vain. Your your faith is in vain. And we are to be pitied above all people. But Paul looked at it and said, with all of that on the line, I know for fact that Jesus is Lord. And we can look back in antiquity and put trustworthiness, put hope in it, put belief in it. Because all of these guys have said it. And in my life, I've experienced it. I've seen God take this person who was. And make him into the person I am now. And not because I'm a great, incredible person. But because of the grace Of God who resurrected Jesus from the dead also has worked inside of me. So, as you wrestle with faith, that's your starting point. As you wrestle with faith, I think for every person, you need to wrestle with the person of Jesus. And I think the point of wrestling, the point of of contention, wrestles and begins with Did Jesus rise from the dead? Because if he did, perhaps he's the Son of God. And if he's the Son of God, perhaps. He's the Savior of the world. But all of those things are first built on the cornerstone of the resurrection of Jesus. So I'm hoping and I'm praying that for you, you take that into consideration. As you're wrestling with faith, you take that into consideration. As you go into conversation with people that you love and you care so deeply about, you know that the beginning, the irreducible minimum, is the resurrection of Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time that we have together. God, I pray and I ask that you would, that you would give us the courage, you would give us the strength, you would give us the wisdom to take all these things into consideration. God, thank you so much for preserving these documents through antiquity. These writings of Matthew, these writings of Mark, these writings of Luke, these writings of John, of Peter, of Paul, and of James. And God, I ask and I pray that as we all wrestle with starting points, as we all wrestle with perhaps our own starting point or the starting point for someone that we love, you would help us to come to a conclusion that you are in fact the Son of God. You are, in fact, the Messiah that we read about, that our faith is not in vain, we are not still in our sins, and that we have life through you because when you died, you did what no one expected to do. You rose from the dead, and people didn't believe it when it happened, but when they saw it, they changed the world because of it. Please, please, please give us the same assurance that you gave them. In the name of Jesus we ask this. Amen.